Good morning, everyone. I really appreciate you guys showing up today, especially on, you know, three-day weekend. There's so many other things you guys could be doing. Could go camping and visiting other people. So the show much I appreciate you. I just want to remind you, my name is Sam, and I'm your friend. I love you guys. Thank you so much for being here. So this is just not a third conversation I'm having with chairs this week. Uh, but in fact, so much, why don't you stand up and tell your neighbor how much you appreciate them getting up this morning and coming to church with you. So would you do that real quick? Would you please stand up and tell your neighbor how much you appreciate them for coming this morning? Thanks. Whoa. You scared me here. As uh, Pastor uh, John said earlier, I'm going to be talking about Adam and Eve in our Heroes and Villains superhero series. And really, when you think of Adam and Eve, you don't really think about them as heroes. Usually, we think about them as the people who like caused all this mess in our life uh, from the very beginning. But I want to talk about them and how they might actually look like superheroes in one sense, and how I, I mean, I'm definitely not, might look like one, and actually why you sitting here this morning might look like one, uh, even though, I mean, maybe you are. You know, I'd be pretty cool if you were a superhero, if Bruce Wayne was in joining us this morning. And I was, I've always been fascinated with superheroes as a kid. I've always wanted to be one, you know, with the imagination running wild. You know, as, as a young man, I also think I'm invincible so I can do things and become a superhero. I was reminded last week that I'm not. I was at a conference uh, in Orlando. I was at one of these huge hotels. I'm going up to my floor and I, you know, hit the elevator up button. Of course, there's like six different elevators. So you're like stepping back trying to see which one's going to go. And ding, elevator comes and the door's open and there's this young mom uh, coming out. And she's backing out of the elevator with her stroller. And the wheels get stuck in between the elevator and the floor, and she loses her balance, and she starts going down and pulling on the stroller, and the stroller starts going up. And all I see, and I see this little baby start to lean forward out of the stroller. Just about then, you know, I'm, hey, Sam, yeah, you think you should do something? Me? Okay, I'll give it a try. You know, so I, I try to rush over and try to help save the day, you know, but thankfully that young mom was amazing, and she actually buckled her baby in the stroller so the baby did not fall out, and everything was okay, and that dramatic moment wasn't super serious. Thank goodness that young mom was not relying on my super speed and quickness abilities. Um, you know, I have always loved superhero movies. I get super emotionally involved with them for some reason. I just love how the different characters and what they do. And in fact, there's this movie, Endgame, Avengers Endgame. I don't know if you heard about it. It came out this past year. It was only the biggest grossing movie of all time. We love our superhero movies. And I went to the theater and we saw, I saw it with my wife. And I just remember sitting there just enjoying every moment of it. And there's this climax scene between like 
the villain and all in his army and all these superhero characters we love. And there's just like pause, some dramatic music, and they charge at each other to fight. And like if the movie theater was so loud with this music, it was intense. And if, if it went silent, you just would have heard from my seat. So I'm like, I mean, I also probably let out a little pee as well, let's be honest. Um, but a lot of superheroes, they always wear something called, you know, this mask. They always put on this costume, this mask. And they become this, not just this person, this identity, they become almost an idea. I mean, they become like, you think of Batman, you think of this dark, brooding, justice-fighting you know, hero who puts fear and terror into the eyes of the bad guys of his character. We think of like Captain America, he stands for like justice and he's this do-gooder. They become this persona of this character in the public's eyes of who they are and what they see. And that is not who they really are behind that character. We always watch these movies, you know, they do this out in public and they're fighting heroes, but then we see them in their movies and they're always wrestling with the choices they make, wrestling with how to protect their friends and their families and what they stand for. So I want to give a quick definition of a mask just to make sure we're all speaking the same language and understand it. So uh, the mask uh, definition we're going with today is to conceal something from view. So when I talk about masks today, I'm going to be talking about to conceal something from view. That's what it means. You know, I've got a Batman mask on. You know, I'm concealing my face. Bruce Wayne's concealing his face to become Batman. So, yes, I was going to talk about Adam and Eve and why they looked like superheroes with these masks on. So we're going to be talking about that in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. And before we start reading that, I'm going to give you a quick backstory of what's happened so far in case you guys have forgotten. So God created, you know, heavens and the earth and everything in it, all the stars, and he created this garden with all these trees and plants and animals, and he put Adam and Eve in there, and he told them, like, you can do, you know, whatever you want, eat fruit from any tree except for one tree, and knowledge of good and evil. So, okay, so that's the, that's one rule. I got that. I got the one rule written down. And then... Something bad happens, and the fourth character enters the story, goes by a lot of different names, Lucifer, Satan, the devil. In this story, he's going by the character, the serpent. And he starts uh, engaging with Eve and manipulating and twisting and lying. And he's like, surely you, you won't die if you eat this. You know, you want to be like God. You'll become like God if you eat this fruit. And she's like, well, here's the one rule. It says right here, do not eat of this tree. And he twists and he lies. And then we find out her reaction from that in verse 6. So here we go. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and like a bomb, he ate it. Now, The eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed some fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So here we go. First time sin enters the world, and they realize, hey, something's wrong with me. Like, I don't know, like, and I don't want anyone else to know this, but this is not good right now. 
So the first thing they do is they conceal something from view. They put on a mask. The first mask in human history takes place immediately right after sin has entered the world. And of course, you know, it worked. You know, to this day, Adam and Eve are living happily ever after in their fig leaves in the garden. No, of course not. Let's find out what happens. Verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid and, and I, because I was naked. And so I hid. Here we go. Sin enters the world. And they realize something's wrong with me. Not only something wrong with me, somebody's coming. Like, big man upstairs is coming. You know, Heavenly Father, he's coming. You know, God's coming. So what are we going to do? Well, obviously, he's going to see past our little skies. So we're going to go hide behind some more disguise, because that'll work for sure. We'll hide there, and he'll never find us. And... This is so, so powerful. If you really want to know the character of God, it's really, you don't have to look any further than his reaction to when sin first entered the world. God asks, where are you? You know, this isn't like, you know, they they hide behind some trees and God's like, where'd you go? They're gone. Where are you? He didn't lose them. You know, he's, he's God. He created this place. He knew exactly where they were. So what's he doing? He's asking a question. He's inviting them. He's being what he is, which is a relational God. You know, that's why David wrote, you know, it's your kindness that leads me to repentance. It's that kindness, that, that invitation is what draws me to you, Lord. And that's what probably allowed Adam to reply. He's just like, I'm going to be honest. This is what happened. Like, I'm, like, I heard you coming. Like, I don't know, there's a lot of things. Like, when I die and you watch the recording of Earth and everything that took place, I'm so excited for it. I'm going to be the guy by the, the front of the screen, you know, where the speakers are, like, jumping up and down, watching the history of the world. And, but there's a lot of things I want to see. How did that look? How did, what was happening there? But, like, I just want to hear, what does that sound like? The Lord God walking in the garden. I don't know, that, that would have been wild. But he's just like, look, I heard you coming. And I was not, like, I was afraid, going to be honest. So I hid. Now, if we keep reading, we hear this blame game story. You know, Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the serpent. So God's like, okay, so you guys, you know, curses the serpent. You're going to have to slither now. He's like, women, you're going to have to go through labor pains. Men, you're going to have to, like, toil in the fields. And the history of you know, mankind to this point, you know, is all in between. And that is how we get our beginning. And it's so powerful. Right away, it's the first thing we do when sin happened. They put on a mask. Now, the book, The Cure, written by John Lynch and actually a couple of other people, highly recommend this book. They talk about masks in here. And they've really showed why there's so many reasons we're tempted to put on masks and uh, why we continue to wear them. And that's what I'm going to be talking a lot about today. 
is a lot out of this book and what they talk about. So they're going to talk about a lot of different reasons we are tempted to wear masks. And so number one, uh, when our failures tell us the experiment of grace didn't work. When I first told my wife this, she was like, do what? What is the experiment of grace? So the experiment of grace is when, ooh, Jesus died for me. I'm forgiven. I'm a new creation. This is going to be great. My life's going to get great. I'm no longer going to sin. No longer going to, you know, make mistakes. No longer going to have failures. No longer going to have stress in my life. And then, of course, you know, is anyone living that life, by the way? Just real curious. No one? Okay. So it didn't work. You know, they look at it as an experiment. Like, it's going to fix all my problems, and then it doesn't. So, therefore, that experiment failed. And now I'm kind of in this thing, and I don't want people to know it failed, so I'm going to cover that up. Uh, number two, we want to prove, prove God's worth, that we're worth his choice to love us. I want to tell you a quick story. I, when I was playing high school football, there was a father-son duo. No, no, the father wasn't playing football. It was, it was the son who was playing football. The, the father was a coach. And I remember we, there was this game in which the son ran for like seven-yard touchdown, an incredible feat, broke some tackles, great athletic move. And he comes back to the sideline, and we're all, like, celebrating, smacking him on the head, spanking him on the butt, you know, some camaraderie. And he walks right up to his dad, and he says, was that good enough? You see, his dad was a semi-pro football player, and his dad was pretty hard on him. And it was pretty obvious. Every day at practice, and even when... We're out hanging out after games and things like that. It was pretty obvious his dad was super hard on him. So even when he does the goal, you know, make the play, make the touchdown, make, you know, beat an achiever, he still has got to go and try and earn his worth. He doesn't really mask that he's trying to earn it. He's pretty obvious when he comes up and asks, you know, was that good enough, Dad? And sometimes we don't even realize that's your norm, I'm letting you know right now, that's not healthy. That's not how our Heavenly Father operates. Uh, moving on, we're going to go, we believe God wants us to fake it so he looks good because God's got an image issue. His children are embarrassing him. Oh my gosh, I'm such a terrible parent. What is everyone else going to think of me? No, that's not true. Uh, moving on. Uh, we want God to make our life work and our behavior seem like a price tag. In order to quick raise of hands, if when you were misbehaving as a kid or a child, then uh, your mom wanted to correct that, so she gave you the whole line of, like, I put you in this earth. I am not afraid to take you out. Of course not. Of course we never got that line. Um, and... We, we never feel like, oh my gosh, my parents gave me so much, therefore I must be the perfect kid. Always, like, there's, like, it's just, like, I'm guilt, guilty of this then. I feel so bad about this. They, I owe it to them because they gave so much to me. They gave life to me, therefore I better give my life for them and everything I say and do. We don't feel that way at all. We think God cares more about right behaviors than our trust and dependence. It's more like, i got to be the perfect person. I have to do these things. I'm going to try to be on church on time. I'm going to 
do the right things. Every, all these people say you've got to read more, pray more, you know, talk to God more, do all these things. That's what God cares about. If you try to do that more, mm, then that's what, God, that's what God needs out of us, to pray more, read the Bible more, you know, try and be a little more happier. And then instead of trust that God has got a plan for our life and trust that we are who God calls us to be. Uh, going to the next one. Uh, we think we're in a competition graded on a spiritual level. And when I was a couple years after high school, I was in a college-age Bible study uh, with a really good friend of mine. And one of the nights, for some reason, we got into a theological debate with some other people. Of course, these things always get nasty for whatever reason. So it was my friend and I on one side, some people watching us go back and forth with a couple other people. And we're just, you know, trading blows back and forth. It's not really good. And thankfully, the leader of that home group kind of shut it down before it got too, too late. And I was remember walking out to my car with my friend, and we're, we're doing the whole, like, you know, one of these, one of those, and, ah, oh, good job, guys. We're so, we're so good, and we're so much better Christians than they are. Can you believe they think that way? Can you look at their life choices? We're so good. And my friend said, and I'll never forget this, he said, yeah, get on my level. I was like, oh, yeah, I can resound with that, resonate with that. Get on my level. Because we were like, we don't need the cross as much as they need the cross. We're way holier than they are. And then our shame makes us believe that we must assuage God's disgust in us. So there's a lot to unpack here. So in case you didn't know what assuage mean, I didn't know. So I'll save you the Google search. It means make less intense. So make God's disgust in us less intense. Because obviously God's disgusted in me with all the sin, all the failure, all the junk in my life. So I'm going to have to like make it not so bad. So you know when nature calls? I'm talking about like the number two. And it's like after you've been eating Mexican food for like three days and it's not pretty. And so you're like, ooh, the person behind me is, is going to really not appreciate this. So you're looking for a can of Febreze or something. So then you look like you're graffitiing the side of a train car, trying to cover up that. But of course, you know, if the person behind you, if you walk into that, you're not going to be like, smells like a beach. You know, it just doesn't work at all. Yeah, that's what we're trying to do. That, oh my gosh, the sin that's drunk, I'm going to make it look good. The other major thing you really need to understand out of this statement is the difference between shame and guilt. Guilt drives us to forgiveness. Guilt lets us know there's something wrong with me and I need forgiveness. I need to be made clean. So I want you to tell your neighbor that right now. Guilt drives you towards forgiveness and to be made clean. Go ahead, tell your neighbor that. Okay, everybody got that? Pretty clear? Shame is the opposite. Shame will drive you to let you know you will never be truly forgiven. Oh, there's something wrong with you, but you're never going to be forgiven of that, and you will never be made clean. That's what shame is. Shame drives to hide. Shame drives to let you know you will never be truly forgiven and you'll never be truly clean. Let your neighbor know that. That's what shame is. Go ahead and tell them.
So if you have not really related with one of these things that I'm like, I'm not really super tempted to put on a mask when you're talking about those different uh, situations or reason I'm tempted. That's all right. There's an endless variety of people who put on masks or who are tempted to put on masks. And ultimately, they really kind of put down into three different categories. So we're going to get going with the first category, which is those trying to convince others they're doing just fine. You ever been on part of that conversation of, hey, Sam, hey, how's it going, you know? You know, what, what's new with you, and how are you doing? And I'm doing real fine, and I'm doing good. And, you know, me and my wife, we're, we're getting along pretty good. We're doing fine. And my kid, he's doing really good. He's growing out really fast, and we appreciate it, and works busy. And, and uh, you know, we're going to church, and we really like the church we're at right now. And how about you? How are you doing? Oh, well, well, that was a lot. But I'm doing okay. You know, that was, that was, that was crazy fast. And, and you just deflect. Everything's fine. I'm doing fine. I'm doing just fine. You know, and people who are, when you find someone, or maybe this is you, when you want to put on that, it's all good right here, I'm doing fine, it's usually because you're trying to hide some hurt. You're trying to hide pain in your life. And now if you, uh, I mean, you're just convinced that there's no solution or answer to the problems you have right now in your life. There's just none. There's like no good way to go. So now if I ask you how, like, hey, how are you? Like, what's new with you? You might, and you actually took that mask off, you might sound something like, hey, you don't actually know me at all. Nobody does. Not even my spouse, my family and friends. No one, no one knows who I, who I really am. Like, when I walk into a room, you know, especially at church, but when I walk into a room, I'm pretty rehearsed. You know, I can, I can put on the face and... I can, I can make small talk, the weather, small talk, and then I can even go into deep conversation even. But the persona you see and the person that this is is just a person behind a mask pulling and pushing levers to try and keep this up. Because I don't want to let you know I'm hurting. Because I don't know what to do with this. Another group that you can run into is those still searching for the new technique. Usually these are the kind of people who are okay with admitting their life's not fine. In fact, they're, they're openly, easily talking about, you know, I got issues, I got problems. They're always in church. They're always taking notes. They're always in a home group and, you know, they're taking notes. They're pumping podcasts and sermons into their ears. And they're doing as much as they can to be active. And I'm going to read my Bible more and I'm going to pray more. And ultimately, you're just asking, can you give me, a, like, a, a tool for my toolbox or something, you know, so I, I can fix me, you know, without too much hurt or change, though. And then Satan twists so much in this category. He twists and puts lies and thoughts Thoughts like, mm, what if I'm never good enough? Maybe after what I've done, I don't deserve answers. I mean, everyone else has got, got it figured out, but I, I can't seem to figure this out. Now, if you've thought so far, oh my gosh, what's wrong with people? Like, what's the big deal? Like, why is there so many messed up Christians here? It's because you're probably in this third category. Those wearing the pedigree mask. I call this the well group. You're like, 
well-educated, well-rounded, I mean, well-groomed, and just well-positioned, well a pain in the butt for everybody else. You see, you know, if you're like, we're the superior ones, you know, it, it feels like, why in the world are so many messed up Christians? What's the problem? We understand and get the cross. You know, I'm saved and born again. I sin. I'm forgiven. It's all good. I can live. I can live and walk daily, moment by moment, in the power and victory in Jesus. Like, why can't you guys do that? What's the problem? You know, words like mm, dependence, mm, needy, needs, vulnerability, unresolved issues. Like, yeah, I don't really, I don't really do those words, you know, because like vulnerability is for needy. It's for people who have needs, who need help and answers. And I'm pretty sure God put me on this earth to be the help and the answer for those people. Ultimately, this group, though, is, obviously, the problem is not with people. It's really not, it's, it's not able to live up to their own expectation. And this, this group is the most neediest and most desperate group of all because they have the hardest time, hardest time admitting there's a mask there at all to begin with. Admitting that they're hiding behind something they're really not. And they look like Marlin. Who's Marlin? Marlon is a character in one of the first movies I ever saw as a kid in the theaters. I don't know, have you ever heard of Finding Nemo? That's uh, right, yes, I know, we love Finding Nemo. So Nemo is this character, uh, not Nemo, Marlon, I'm sorry, is this character who finds himself in an interesting spot. You see, he just lost his wife and his whole family, except for one son with a gimpy fin. And he was separated from the, him. And so now Marlon is going travel across the ocean to go try and be united with his son. And on his way, he gets this, like, uh, fish with ADHD who's driving him nuts, and he finds himself in, like, an abandoned submarine surrounded by sharks in a support group, okay? You know, the first shark gets up there, he's like, hello, my name's Bruce, and they're like, hello, Bruce, and he does his little this little spiel, and then he goes, all right, who's next? And he goes, what about you? And he points right at Marlin, and Marlin's like, what? what about me? He's like, why don't you share with us? What do you want me to share? Share about your, you know, your problems. What problems? I don't got any problems. Don't, they look like Marlin. Here your whole world's being rocked. You have pain and sorrow in your life. And yet you're like, I don't got any problems. No problems at all. I'm going to be honest. I have been in every single one of these groups myself. And the group I relate most with, as you can probably heard of the story earlier, is I've been in this third group a lot, a long time in my life. And I'm going to tell you about when I first found out about this mask I was living with. A couple years ago, I was in a home group with Pastor Michael and Jess. Um, and we were, my wife and I were so blessed to be part of that. And one night in our group, we were talking about motivators, why we want to do certain things. And I was sharing how I just want to go on mission trips. I want to lead things. I want to get things done. I want to walk up to a door, boom, kick right through it and keep marching on because that's just what I do. That's just who Sam is. He gets things done. And 
Michael kind of asked, like, why, why, why I have to go to that extreme? And I was like, that's what you do. You got to grow in your faith. You have to be growing. If you're a Christian, you better be growing in your faith and taking step after step after step after step. And that's just what that is for me at this point. I got to take those steps. And Michael, why? What happens if you, you aren't taking those steps? And I, I realized in that moment, the people I saw not taking those steps, God was disappointed in them. I saw God disappointed in the people who were not growing in their faith. I saw God disappointed in the, my family and my friends who were not where I thought they needed to be. And that gave me permission to also be disappointed in them. What's their problem? Why aren't they where they need to be? Why aren't they on fire for God? Why aren't they doing these amazing things? Michael asked, why are you disappointed in them? And I realized it's not that I'm disappointed in them. It's that I was disappointed in myself. Because I wasn't living up to my own expectations. I wasn't the sandbuckmer who I wanted to be. I wasn't that superhero of a guy who I wanted, I thought I needed to be. I wasn't. And it was tearing me up inside. Tearing me up inside. I didn't want anyone to know that. So I was going to kick down doors. I was going to lead things. I was going to go on mission trips and go to church and become a likable guy because that's what it takes to be a super strong Christian and where Sam needed to be. But I wasn't. So what's some of the issue? Like, how did it get to this? When we sin, we automatically respond. When we are sinned against, we automatically respond. When we sin, we automatically respond with this thing called guilt. And when we are sinned against, we automatically respond with this thing called hurt. I think we all can relate to Adam and Eve. I mean, we are all related to Adam and Eve, but we all can relate to Adam and Eve in a sense of something's wrong with me, and now i got to cover it up. I'm going to put on a mask. I'm going to sow some fig leaves so no one can really see the crap and junk in my life. Because you were not designed to have guilt, you know, sin and hurt going in your body. And now once it gets in, it, like, it spreads like an undiagnosed infectious disease. And you don't have an organ in your body to take care of that. You know, it's not next to your spleen, you know. You were not designed to have guilt and sin ripping through your body. And even when I get hurt, maybe someone sins against me, or what if it was even intentional? I can't handle it. I can't handle hurt. And it ignites the nature of sin in me it ignites some pretty nasty things in me. Some blame, some fear, some denial, some anger. 
There's some other things that start to take place when we let those things run wild through us. Uh, We become highly sensitized to our own sin, and we start to judge others of their own. And then you start, we start to lose objectivity in the crisis, and we actually start to become the issue. We hide our sinful behaviors and become vulnerable to more. And now you're in a cycle. It just repeats and repeats, except now it's not just repeating once. It's getting faster and faster and faster. We are unable to love or to be loved. So you got to understand, when you have a mask on in front of your face and people love you, it's only going to hit your mask. It's never actually going to get to you. Because you got to, I got to keep this persona, this thing in front of me. So when people love on you, show how much they care, and tell you they appreciate you from coming this morning, if you had that mask on, that's never actually going to reach you. And in the same way, you're going to have the hardest time trying to love people from where you are. Your mask might try and throw love at people, but you're going to have the hardest time getting it through that because it's going to, you're going to have to put that down for your face to be seen for you to show love to people. And so if you're not receiving love, you got that mask, that persona in front of your face, you're just going to have to put on another mask to make up for the lack of love in your life, that how much you don't feel and how much you can't love the people around you. We become more susceptible to wrong life choices. That's when you start doing things. You're like, that's not me. Why did I reply that way? Why did I say that thing to that person? Why am I acting this way? That's not who I am. But you got to remember, sin and hurt's now running the show. Just unchecked sin and hurt turn into shame, and that's what's running your life now not you. We attempt to control others. You know, because if other people are the ones hurting me, then maybe if I can get them to stop, maybe if I can, you know, take hold of their life, then they can stop hurting me, and then they can stop hurting other people, and then we'll all be fine and happy again in life. And then something kind of crazy happens also. When we start influencing people while we're wearing masks, we try to convince them of some few things, not even realizing it. We convince them they too must live a two-faced life. We say things like, they too must be a, a present as an idealized person. That's why you start your sentences with, you know, you listen to their situation, the pickle they're in, the issues they have, and you go, all right, you know, you know that's it's you. But if it was me, this is what I would do. This is because, you know, my life's so perfect and great. So I'm going to tell you what I would do in this circumstance so you can keep up the face. So you can let people know that you're doing okay and that, that past relationship, that past interaction, uh, that past, you name it, isn't affecting you because you're still this person. 
they too must hide what is true about them. New life in Christ doesn't really work. Especially if you think the failure of the experiment of grace doesn't work and now you're in it, you won't subconsciously, you've already chosen that it's not working. And you're, even if you're not publicly saying it verbally like that, it doesn't work. Your actions and how you influence and connect with people is going to scream that. They remain stuck in their unresolved life issues. And we can say cute phrases like, you know, life's rough and then you die. Because that's, that's just it. And we say, oh, you just got to trust God. He's doing things in your life. He's, there's some good, that's, you know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And you don't actually ever uh, show what's actually in that tunnel with you. That's why it's hidden. It's in the tunnel. And, but don't worry, there's a light at the end of it. You're just going it'll, to, it'll go past in time. You know, time heals all wounds. It's better to be unknown than risk rejection. And that's why when you're, again, you're listening to someone tell their problems and looking for advice, you say stuff like, I don't mean to be a jerk. And then everyone knows that's when you're about to say something pretty jerkish because you got to let them know it's, I, I can't let you know who I am. So I'm going to, you know, not risk that. And self-protection is your only hope. Because you can't trust anyone. Because people are messy and people hurt people. Therefore, the only person you can trust is yourself. And all of a sudden, our actions and our belief start to go that way. So really, in the end, you're not just crazy actors with these personas and masks we wear and we walk around. You actually become a, a, a director of your overstyled play, teaching people how to pose, how to say rehearsed lines, I'm fine, and how to even express different emotions. Maybe some fake crying. <laughs> but I want to let you know something. Just like that big mask I was wearing and every mask that was walked in here today in this room, all man-made masks crumble. All man-made masks crumble. And that's our hope, that we'd be able to rediscover the face of Jesus. And Jesus is the center of grace, not the experiment of grace, the reality of grace. And he is always going to be nudging us a little bit further and further out into the open so he can see our face. Because you know what? Our faces are pretty beautiful. I don't know if you knew this or not, but, you know, the God who created the heavens and the stars and every sunrise and these amazing pictures you can look at on the Internet and Instagram and where we see, oh, that's so cool looking. That's the same person who designed the thing you look at in the mirror. He loves and takes delight in you. You know, I said right away in the beginning that my name is Sam and I'm your friend and I appreciate and love you guys for so many different reasons. But there is a guy named Jesus who is also your friend and does so much more to show how, and loves you so much more, does so much more for you because he wants to see your face. But it's kind of scary 
because you're like, if you're going to see all of me, you're going to see not just the side I want you to see, but you're going to see all the bad side. Which kind of brings to a question. What if it was less important that anything ever gets fixed than nothing has to be hidden? And God, you know, was walking in the garden. He didn't walk up in the Adam and even say, hey, come here so I can fix you. He asked him what? Where are you? Why are you hiding something? Invitation to come forward. Just here's something you gotta have to really know. In order to truly surrender to the full love of God, it has to be all of me. Not just the fun, loving side and the one the one I want the public to see, but one with all my crap. That's when God can truly love us and break down our walls. See, I, I want to let you know what happened after I took that mask off that I was wearing for such a long time. The pedigree mask that I had, that I was so disappointed in other people, at least that's what I thought I was, but ultimately it boiled down to being disappointed in myself. And let me tell you, it wrecked me. I don't know if you've ever been wrecked by God or not, but it's good and bad at the same time. It hurts. I mean, when you rip something I pretty much epoxy to my face and you take that off, it stings. It hurt a lot. But I'm going to tell you something. When I'm going to take, take this mask off and breathe, not through that for the first time, you get to have this little conversation with God. Hey, you love me? Yeah, I love you. Even with all this crap, even when I sin on a daily, pretty regular, and when I even go and hurt other people, he's like, yeah, I love you. Even when I don't have to go kicking down doors and doing all this great Christian stuff, you're going to love me through that? And he goes, yeah, I love you. Even not where I think I need to be? Oh, yeah. He goes, I love you. Even right, right there, I love all of you. Even all the crap that you go through. And then some things started changing in my life. He did amazing things in my life. He blessed me with a son. He blessed me with opportunities to launch a home group out of this church, which I get to love these people. Not where they, I think they need to be, but right where they are, I can love them and not be disappointed. And any of those people who come to my house, I get to love on those people because I know how much God loves me and I know how much God loves those people. He's also given me the ability to now uh, launch Southside's new youth group, Empower. And I can actually go love on any of the leaders who volunteer and all the kids who come right where they're at and not be disappointed in them. And I get express the love I feel, the good side, the bad side, the crap, all of me, because I was able to step out and be revealed. And Jesus got to show how much he loves and cares about me. And then, as God is doing all this change in my life, I just have such a burden for lost people, for people who walk around with these huge masks on, who have so much pain and shame running their lives, that God's called me 
to do more, that he's given me the ability to start training to become a pastor, take steps forward to uh, not just take this change in me, but to now share it with other people. And to continue to let people know, God's asking the question, where are you? He's inviting you in. But that's kind of scary. So there's another question then. What if there was a place so safe that the worst of me could be known, and I would discover that I would not be loved less, but I would be loved more in the telling of it? The more of me revealed, the more I was loved. The more I was just filled with just joy and the spirit of peace because I was able to let God say, here's me, all of me. And I wasn't rejected. I wasn't loved less because I made mistakes and I failed and I got crap in my life. I got a lot of crap going on. And the more and more I step out, to let God know me more. You know, we always, for the longest time I got this wrong, I always thought repentance is something I give to God. Well, I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry, God, my bad. And I do this for him. In reality, God gave us this gift for us. He gave us this gift and ability to step out and say, God, here I am. Here's more of me. And in that, that's when forgiveness happens, that's when grace happens, and that's where you get loved way more than you ever know. And I find out now that I've been wrestling with this, I sometimes want to put that mask back on. When I make a mistake and that sin or that hurt that's ripping through my body, I want to put that and hide that and cover that, and I wrestle with that now daily. But I also know now that as soon as I take that off, off, I am loved so, so. I don't have to do anything even to prove it. And I am brought to tears every time I find out how much God loves me. So I'm going to ask you, if there's a place so safe that the worst of you would be seen, and you would find out that you were not loved less, but you were loved more in the telling of it. The more you tell about what's happening in your life, even just saying, hey, God, I'm hurting right now. This is not good. You're going to find out your love way more. And you say, hey, God, I screwed up again. I'm like, I am such a sinner. I got problems. He's going to be that's okay. I love you right where you are. Because I can't, the, the, the fix, getting fixed part isn't no longer having pain and hurt go away. That's when you get to heaven. But in order for me to have joy in my life right now, I have to let God see all of me. And God already sees all of me. But it's when I step out into a relationship with him, then can I be fully seen and I can be fully loved. I want to challenge you guys. We're going to take two minutes right now. I know it's going to sound like eternity. But we're going to take two minutes right now and just go respond right now to Jesus and share with him the sin and hurt in your life. Because I think so many times we can go throughout 
our week and our day. And if it's busy, we're Americans. We jam-pack our schedule to the brim as much as we can. We don't take time to slow down and be like, actually, that really hurt today. I know that person didn't really mean those words, but it's kind of eating me up inside. Or even when you know, like, oh, I definitely just lied to that person. But I'm sorry about that, so I'm just going to let that go real quick. And now you have it ripping through your body. And now you don't know what to do with it. And now you're going to have all these things happen to you, and you don't know why. So I'm going to set my phone here for two minutes. And all we're going to do is ask, and what is with this stuff, God? And I want you to listen for what he has to say to you in your life. The more that you will be known, the more you're going to be loved. If you're uh, ready to breathe fresh air again, not through something made out of paper mache and glue, um, Pastor uh, John and Pastor Michael are going to be up here, and they are amazing at creating this place. That's you know safe enough to share. That's why I love Southside. It's safe enough to share all of me, so you'd be loved more. And you can take off the mask that you're wearing. 
and start receiving the love God has for you.